This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast. As always, it is our goal to connect our listeners with folks from all parts of the fishing industry. Whether you're a plug builder, a charter captain, fishing guide, fly fisherman or woman, marine biologist, kayak fisherman, we have a little something for everyone. Uh, before I introduce this week's guest, let's uh, give the rundown of where you can find us. We're on Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers, on Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast, as well as all of your major podcast platforms. From Apple Podcasts to Spotify, we're on Pandora, iHeartRadio, as well as Waypoint TV and many more. With all due, uh, with all that said, I'd like to welcome this week's guest, Justin McGrady. Welcome, Justin. How you doing, brother? How about it? How about it? Man, I'm glad so, to be here. So I'm excited. I'm excited to chat with you because this is like a full circle type thing, right? So we had uh, Tanya on, who I am connected with through iStrike, which I see on your hat there. We're both on Team iStrike, which is 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 a, a beautiful thing. You know, I I don't I don't do the whole pro staff and you know, all this other, all this, uh, fishing, uh, pro staff type stuff, but I strike is a relationship that I have had for several years. And I love it, man. Cause they're just that, that small company that's, you know, grinding away and putting an, putting out an amazing product and keep building new products. I love it. So I'm connected to Tanya there. And she told me about this amazing trip that she had lined up and then she shared it with me afterwards. And she was talking and gushing about you. So I'd like to get a, a little background on you. You know, um, you are at the underscore SC underscore river underscore guide on Instagram. Um, give us a little background on how you got into the fishing world and then kind of how you connected with Tanya. So it's, I've been fishing my whole life. Like it started pictures of me, you know, in diapers on the, on the John boat with my dad. You know, we grew up blue collar, um, nothing special like everybody, you know, just just trying to make it. And the river was like ours, ours escape. Um, you know, where I live, they have this, they call it the jewel of the South, Lake Murray. 
and yeah. everybody's you know on Lake Murray this and that. Well, I mean, you gotta have money, you gotta have a big boat, you gotta have this. We had them little John boats. We was down there in the river, and you know what? Nobody messing with us, and we had it all to ourselves. It was amazing growing up, like you know, just a big crew, big family, river family, and that's where I grew up. My dad was a river fisherman. My grandfather, you know, taught him, and my dad taught me, and I learned from both a little bit. And um, I mean, that's where it started. Just you know, growing up and being raised on the river. Man, you can't beat that. You know, I, I, my, my early fishing stories start with my mom. You know, she, she had us out, you know, at Lum's Pond. I, I want to say probably, I was probably a, you know, somewhere between kindergarten and third grade. You know, my dad worked overnights. So my mom was the one that would take us out and she would be like kind of, kind of helping us out. So she was where it, it first started for me and my little brother for the most part. And then from there, um, I kind of, I kind of like went in and out of it through all my years. And what's crazy is that I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. I had these amazing lake fisheries around me and I never got to explore them while I was there. I was there for three years from 2005 to 2008. And I see guys like you and I'm like, golly, man, what did I miss? Like there's, I had Lake Norman. I had, I had everything right around me. And then my, my job that I had down there, I got to, I went from pretty much you know, Roanoke Rapids all the way down to Savannah, Georgia. So I had such a stretch of amazing fisheries that I just never took advantage of while I was down there. So the talking Roanoke to someone is. like you, it, it hurts my heart a little bit. It hurts my heart a little bit. I had the, right the Roanoke's on my list, on my yeah. list to visit. I'm, I'm excited about getting into in the Roanoke at some point. But yeah, we've got we've got some hidden gems down here for sure. Yeah. You know? and, and, and And that's been the hardest thing, like getting into guiding. That, that transition, you know, like going from recreational enjoying it for ourselves and this and that to, to guiding you, you bring the exposure and this and that. So you have to be careful, um, you know, when, when you do that. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. You know, we are often our own enemies when it comes to this kind of stuff. You know, we want to promote what we're doing. Like me for this, for example, this podcast, I want it to be, you know, something for everybody to, to, to kind of take and, and be able to add it to their own game and kind of help their, their fishing. But then I also have, you know, all these years I've put into, you know, pounding the sand or pounding this bank or, you know, doing this and that, that I, I have, I feel I owe it to, to all the time I put in to kind of protect it. So it's this double-edged sword, you know, we fight these battles and I, I am still the purist, you know, I still am the guy that, I, I believe in trying to avoid all spot burning and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's still very important to me that, you know, we preserve those things, you know, and, and kind of share that stuff as, as, you know, as delicately as we can. That's, that's right. And, and I've, I've had that mindset and that battle you're talking about, like spot burning this and that. And, and with stripers, like anybody knows this, like stripers move, you know, they, they constantly are moving. And so that doesn't concern me as much as the, that they don't have the same conservation mindset, yeah. right? They don't, they don't appreciate our resource and they, they, they think it's unlimited and, you know, and they abuse it. And that's not what we have. Like it's not yeah. unlimited. This is, this is a natural reproductive fishery and could be self-sustaining. However, it's, it's needed that help um, from biologists, DNR and this and that to, to really keep it alive because just overfished and, and it wasn't managed right early on and things like that. And that's what I really remember from childhood is like, you know, my dad, and he talks about this now, and this is a big deal because my dad's always been that, you know, he'll go and catch them and keep them and this and that. 
until 15 years ago or so, like he made a real big change. And he talked about that recently. Him and I had a conversation where it's like, you'd see this big plywood board with like 40 stripers on it. Yeah. And they're standing next to it bragging. Yeah. And he, we were going through a photo album and he's looking at it and he's like, God, how stupid was I? Like, yeah, that was so stupid. He's like, and they did it. You know, they, they harvested fish. They give it out family members, this and that. But he's like, we did it to like boast, to like hold our chest right. out to like, we are the man. Like we can go do this on the river. And he, he just says that's like one of his biggest regrets now, like looking back. He's like, he he wish he wouldn't have contributed to that downfall. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to a lot of different people in this world. You know, you, you talk to a lot of those old timers and they're like, man, we, we don't know how we don't, we didn't realize how good we had it. Like you talk like weak fish, for example, up here, you know, people tell me like they're bailing, you know, 35 to 40 inch tide runners, you know, one after another out of, out of certain beaches in Southern Jersey. And it's like, now there's those fish don't exist anymore you know it's for whatever reasons you know whether it's overfishing or you know fishing mortality different different types of mortality because of you know global warming whatever it may be but but yeah you, you just you, pressure you hear these pressure. stories you hear these stories but then but then you start to see you know the the tide turn a little bit with some of these younger anglers that are coming out you know and they're promoting the catch and release because that's a cool thing to do so you know, I, 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 I'm all about, you know, responsible harvest. I'm all about the, you know, protecting the fisheries. And I, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, I, 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 I walk what I talk, you know, I, if, if I say I'm going to do something, I, I'm going to do something, you know, we, we fought to get sheep's head added to, uh, you know, the, the release over 20 thing, just to kind of, you know, protect that fishery. There's no regulations in some of the places we fish for them. So, you know, just a little bonus thing to kind of help promote you know, the, the, the release of some of these larger fish, you know, I'm, I'm all about that kind of stuff that, you know, and I don't, as I get older, that's the kind of stuff that I want to, I want to talk about, you know, to some of the younger anglers. And I, I see it every day. I see minds change and I, I don't want people to think, you know, we can't eat fish, you know, we can't take our care of our families. That's, that's not what I'm promoting. I, I keep fish, you know, my families eat fish. I'm just thinking, you know, some of these older fish, some of these bigger fish, some of these fish that deserve to keep living that are trophies. Yeah, you know, the ones we got we got to think a little bit better and, about. And healthy harvesting is good. Right? Yeah, man. healthy harvesting is good, but but it's taken a long time for us to get to that. And, um, and and I wanted to speak on. I don't know what y'all have experienced with changing people's mindsets, but I've found like like when I started guiding, it was like I was really gung ho. I wanted to protect this and that, and I was just like, oh, I got really defensive. And then I realized, like, that is not the way to go no, about it. It no, just no. creates, you know, animosity and, like, just sure. separates people. You have to educate. Yeah. And then let that person just make a moral decision. Because yeah. most people make the right moral decision. Um, you give them all the facts. Let them know what you do, why you do it. Then they realize, like, oh, okay. And they make a moral decision and they go with, you know, whatever they decide. Yeah, I mean, one of my best friends, I got to tell you, um, Jason Jason, uh, Jason Gay, he, uh, he is a, he's a great fisherman. Here we go fishing. You know, he's been on in my podcast here. I've, I've talked to him on here and, you know, we talked about, we've, when I first met him, it, like there's been a complete, you know, absolute 180. It's amazing. I, I'm, I'm proud of this kid. I mean, he's not a kid. He's a great friend of mine, but probably one of my two or three best friends. And this, this guy has completely changed his mindset. And to see that, to see that growth and he credits me with it, but it's not me. It's just, it was just him, you know, realizing what he had in front of him and that it wasn't necessary to, to do certain things, you know, 
it's yeah. a, it's a beautiful thing. That's if I can, Hey, if I can change one person's mind, that's the goal. Right. Exactly. And then if he can, and then so on and so forth, that that's all yeah. I talk about. You know, I'm not, I'm not this crazy person. I listen, my, I don't, I don't buy fish. I take care of multiple families. So I, I but I responsibly harvest and I talk, I, I talk, I back up what I talk, but let's get back to you, my man. This is, we went off yeah. on a tangent there and I, I think we could do that all day, but yeah. You know, uh, how about some of those early fishing memories, like you as a kid, like with, with your dad or with whoever it may have been, what, what, what are some of those things that you remember down there? And you're like, you're in, you're based in Columbia, South Carolina, correct? Yes, sir. So yeah. is that where you've grown up? You've been uh, born and raised? I'm born and raised, um, spent all my life here locally. And then I went to Charleston Southern University. Um, they, you know, we decided to part ways after that first semester. College wasn't for me. Okay. And uh, it was a Baptist college. There was a lot of rules and uh, didn't think, you know, that was that much fun. So we, uh, I enlisted in the military. I went in the Air National Guard and a buddy of mine talked me into it. Had no idea what I was getting into. Like, I just kind of was like winging it. Like I've raced motocross my whole life. I've done a lot of outdoors things, like just for kind of free spirited, you know, like, and uh, enlisted in the guard and got in and got to basic and they were yelling at me. And I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? best decision I ever made like Air National Guard best decision it, it grounded me it gave me a really good foundation I built a career off of it I was an IT consultant after that you know I got trained in the Air Force uh, you know to do communications I took some really big you know projects and this and that gained a bunch of experience moved around everywhere lived in DC lived in Kansas lived in uh, Oahu never fished right. never cared didn't you know what I was upset about it's striper season back home. Like I was, that's what I cared about. Like, that's what I did when I grew up. Like we, that's what we focused on. And, and I, I didn't realize like what I was being trained for. Like he wasn't training me for this, but I mean, he trained me to be like an expert on these fish in our river system. And it was, you know, that's, I used that. And um, I regret now because I, I always tell people like, I'm, I was a redneck fisherman um, that turned into an angler. <laughs> you know what I'm Nothing saying? Because I always cared about stripers, and I always, that's all I cared about. Like, oh, you fishing for whatever? We fish for stripers. Well, now I'm like, daggum, that would have been so cool to go catch whatever in Oahu or whatever in the Potomac or, you know, this and that. Like, But maybe I'll have those chances later down the road to make up for it. Yeah, there you go. Hey, man. I hey, listen. I admit to being a, a, a former weekend warrior. I, I, fishing wasn't like my first love for a, a, a big portion of my life. You know, I I would be the guy that would buy go on vacation and buy the the Shakespeare combo and and get through vacation and throw away before I traveled back home. You know that that was me. But you know, it was somewhere around when I met my my wife and then I, my my father in law now and you know he got me back into the love of fishing and it really just blossomed from there. I had I was obsessed with you know learning everything I could could about the multiple different fisheries that were in my my backyard and there's so so much fishing here, man. There's so much like you said you were all over the place like D.C. There's amazing fishing there. You wouldn't believe yeah. it. You know, you have that that urban fishery. It's amazing down there. You know, there's so many different things that you you could just explore in this mid-Atlantic area. And then then I travel to fish. So, you know, I'll go north, I'll go south. I don't care. I until I blew up my engine the last time I was out fishing. So I'm I'm down yeah. to our family now. So I just get I I'm I'm grounded for the for the foreseeable future. Yeah. 
we got to get that fixed. Yeah, that's that's in the works. That's in the works. So, again, I, I mentioned how we were first introduced you when I sat down with Tanya from Real Chica Charters. She couldn't say enough good things about you. Give us a little background about how you got started guiding and what the meat and potatoes of your business is. You know what 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 you're doing down there. I know it's not just striped bass. You know, we we got a couple different things we target. What is you know what is your your guiding business? Yeah. So how did you start? Well, first to talk about Tanya. What an angler. Oh, yeah. Like, I know she talked about on that show, it was a tough bike, this and that. Like, dude, she stuck with it. She is a go-getter. Like, holy crap. She put her head down. I told her, I was like, it's going to be tough. And like she said, we were looking at fish, this and that. And it was really frustrating, but she never gave up. She stayed with it. She worked with me, and, like, we, we ended up getting a couple good bites. But, um, but no, my guide business, I did. When I first started, so the reason that I started, I was working for a big company, which I never liked to do, and they laid me off when COVID hit. And that's the reason I don't like to work for a big company, because they, I literally got a company award right before they laid me off. But they, you know, they don't look at that. They look at numbers. And I was there for this amount of time on the team, and I was the youngest. They let me go. COVID hit. Well, I had my captain's license, my six pack. I wanted to do this part time. I wanted to share the experience that we get to do with people because it is so unique. And um, so I looked at my wife and I was like, hey, Heather, like, please give me two years. Let me see what I can do. Like, just let me do for two years. Um, I just finished my third. So I made it past that two year mark. But um, I, I jumped right into it. I had no idea what I was getting into. Like literally no idea. The only thing I knew what I could do is I could put people on fish. And, and that's exactly what I did. And then um, I had probably one of the biggest breaks that anybody could ever have their first year guiding. Um, Carter Andrews, he was on my boat with me for two days. Wow. And I messaged him on Instagram like a stalker. <laughs> like, and and he's, he is a friend of mine now. I would say. Uh, and I think you would say the same because, you know, he came in, he was filming up in Outer Banks. They were moving through and going to Louisiana. I talked to him in the stand for two days. He gave me half a day the first day and then the morning, the next, and then we went to dinner and, and they left. But um, that first night I did what I needed to do. He made three casts and he had three fish over 30 inches. And the third one was on the fly. Um, he looked at me and he was like, I've seen enough, like it's good. And he gave me some of the best advice on how to grow my business. And I won't get into detail on that, but like, he really did. He, he, he genuinely, that man genuinely cares about fishing and about nature and everything. And he is such a genuine guy. Like, yeah, he does all the media stuff and this and that. And that's what a lot of people see, but that Carter Andrews is, is top notch. that's awesome to hear that because you know a lot of those guys off off the you know off the scene aren't aren't that you know so you hear all these stories but you know that's that's cool to hear that he's one of the good ones and so that's what really that you know that helped me after that first year because it was all word of mouth like I was so scared talking about like coming in and guiding on this fishery you know there's a lot of OGs on the river that you know like they, they, they treat it like deer hunting property. I don't know what deer hunting is like where you're at, but like, you know, deer hunters down here, they, you know, like keep it to themselves. You know, yeah. they want to lock it down. Well, not much different up here. I, I get, I get that <laughs> from the guys that, that, you know, have been out there, but I'm 35 years old 
I've got 25 years on that river, you know, that most young people can't say. And like, I've been out there, I've put my time in, I've earned my place and I'm a hundred percent catch and release. I'm all about conservation. And, and those guys really gave me some heat when I first started. Um, so it was discouraging because like, I didn't want to, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to build my business. Um, and then, you know, after Carter Andrews was involved, I had a, a fly shop, Rivers and Glen. They're out of Savannah, Charleston, and Augusta. And the owner, Walker Hopkins, and Adam runs the shop. Like, those guys, they, they kept me in business. Like, you know, so I had Carter Andrews, right? He comes in. He gives me all this advice. It's really great. And then all of a sudden, I have Rivers and Glen here, and I'm not a fly fisherman. And, and really, I got to give credit to Walt Stanley, who gave me, you know, he got me into fly fishing, but then it was Rivers and Glen. They set me up for success. Like, they, we fly fish for these stripers down here, and it's, that's, that's the way to go. Like, I, I want to talk more them. about that. I want to talk a little bit more yeah, about yeah, that yeah. later, but yeah, that's, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that was all my first year in business, and, you know, like, um, man, I, I got to say. That's all, that's what's all you. kept me in business. But, but the other things that I do guiding are smallmouth, um, which, you know, I won't, I won't even start on the smallmouth. That's a whole nother podcast. Like we have a smallmouth fishery here that will compete. And, and I want it said on this podcast, it will compete with Susquehanna. Okay. And if I'm lying, if I'm lying, I'm dying. And, and I've got guides up there that I work with. Mike, Krim, uh, I can't even say his last name right now. Mike K is what I call him. He's bronze back, new bronze back killer, but. Even he thinks that, I mean, we have smallmouth fishery that's just mind-blowing. So we'll leave that alone there. And I'm also getting into duck guiding. Um, we're going to do some duck hunts on the Broad River, this and that. But my, my meat and, and potatoes is stripers and smallmouth. Man, look at you setting up podcast uh, uh, episode two. Well, I'm just saying, like, if you want to talk about smallmouth, that's a whole nother story. Listen, like, I'm story. down. I'm down. I'm that, down to talk that about secret, that. That secret there, I know it. nobody's heard like that's a big one i am certainly down to chat about that at at another at another time for sure sounds good so if you've tuned into us i mean you you know we kind of lean on our striped bass fisheries locally you know from the north and the south of us south of us Um, most of our local striped bass fisheries are fish that you know run from the coast uh from the carolinas to maine on on their migratory paths and then they come into our inshore waters and rivers to spawn you know, how, you have these riverine striped bass fisheries. How, how, is, how does your fishery differ on, on the river there? And kind of give us a little insight of how you target these fish through the different, you know, seasons. Like what's your typical season and things are? So, so our season is, is really, it's kind of short. Um, like we're from, I, the way that I, I stage it now is, you know, I tell, because I, I focus on repeat clients, right? So, I tell all my guys that repeat, I tell them, look, when the fish get here, I'm out fishing constantly early on in the season. When I catch those first good fish, I'm like, all right. I start making phone calls, and I let them know that the striper run. Now, I'm constantly fishing for smallmouth throughout the year, but the the stripers, when this happens, this is your big fish time of year. This is when you're going to come, and you can catch that 40-pound fish, you know, that 47-incher, that 45-plus, whatever. like. Has it happened? No. Does it happen? Yes. Like it's very difficult. Like um, it's, it's very difficult. Dude, you got to stay at it. It's one of those trips to where you come out, you grind, 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 and you get that one bite. 
but that one bite is going to be your record setter. Like you're going to be so happy with that one bite. It doesn't even matter. Um, very, very difficult trip. That happens in early March through April. And then from May, like mid-April in through the summer, they start getting into a pattern. See, when you come into Columbia from Panopolis, which is the, the power station down in Santee Cooper, right? That's your, the, at Lake Marion and Moultrie. That's where those stripers live through the winter. And then they migrate up the river. So it'd be like they're coming from the ocean. They're just not. They come up the river. It's about 60 miles, you know, give or take. And they get up there to do their spawning and this and that. But before they spawn, you know, this is all in the March timeframe. They come up, they feed aggressively. And then they move back down, they spawn. So for like a two-week lull, I don't know if y'all see this or not, but when they, you know, because they're passing through y'all more or less, they disappear for two weeks. Like they're doing their business. Like they're not, they, I don't care what you throw at them this nap, they're not going to hit anything. They get done spawning and then boom, it goes back into a feeding frenzy again. So like your, your mid-April timeframe and through the summer, you're pretty heavy set. Like they're going to sit on a pattern. And what happens is the, the river of the Congaree is what they travel up and then it hits the broad river and then it, hit, it splits into the Saluda. We call this the confluence. This is right downtown Columbia, okay. literally okay. looking at the state capitol, and we're catching fish. Um, I mean, it's it's amazing. See that? See, there's a there's a little part of me that just loves that urban fishing, man. I just love being in the middle of a big city and catching amazing fish. I've been doing it for most of my life, but my my father in law, he's the exact opposite. He wants to be out in the like countryside and see all the aesthetics. And I'm telling him like. Man, there's nothing like catching a quality fish with like this the the Philadelphia skyline behind you and stuff like that. And he's like, "No, nah, that's not for me." So, now, yeah, I, I love really, it. You don't really know your downtown like so. Your your father-in-law probably would absolutely love this place because you still have that nostalgia feeling. You're in nature, like it's you feel like you're away, right? But then if you start peeking over tree lines here and there, like you start seeing the buildings. Like we don't have a really big city here, um. So I mean. You, that that's the best part about it like you're right downtown but in some of the areas that we fish and because it fingers off into so much you, you kind of feel like you're you're gone you're away from that city life you're away from the rat race you know you can escape reality for a little bit um but yeah through the summer you know they'll split off into the broad early summer early you know late spring they'll come back over into the saluda now they stay in the saluda they use this as a thermal refuge. This is a tributary off of Lake Murray Dam. So it's coming from, they pull the water from like 80 to 100 feet okay. from these towers. Our water temperatures in there, you know, they, they get up to like 68. You know, that's that's going to be high water temperature in the Saluda. They they like that. You know, the, the stripers like that cooler water. Now, our broad water temperatures, they get up into the high 80s. Okay. Um, now that holds all your bait fish. I mean, this is like I tell my customers, you know, like when we fish the confluence, because I could literally fish the confluence area, which is a very small stretch. Like I would say probably a mile of river. Um, and the reason I say that in the summer is because DNR has gotten on the bandwagon to protect these fish. You cannot fish for striper or target striper below the confluence after June 15th. Uh, when those water temperatures get so high that you fight a fish back, 
it builds up all the potassium, this and that, it suffocates, you know, basically kills itself fighting back to the boat because the water temperatures are too high. Um, it's, they realized that the mortality rate was high, so they changed the law June 15th when they cut it off. So that's that basically the confluence to the first or the, the, the rapids we call the mill race, um, that is a no-go zone. Like you ain't running a boat through the mill race. I don't care who you are, how bad you are, you're not gonna run a boat through the mill race um, on any given day. And so that gives us a mile. So if we do half a day, we got a mild river that we don't have to leave. And there are so many fish within that mile it's amazing. And we can fish for them all kinds of different ways, like all summer long, top water, subsurface, swim baits. But really what I focus on is the fly rod. Like if somebody were to look at me and say, hey, I want to fish you for money, I'd say any amount of money you want, you can have whatever you want. I'm taking my fly stick and, and let's go. I'm going to do 25 to one. Like I would, I would, we would wreck them on the fly. For whatever reason, they love feathers down here. They love them, man. You, you're talking to uh, there's a couple of gentlemen that uh, also share this podcast with me that are really down with the the fly stuff. So you're you're speaking to a couple of people when when you're talking that kind of game. So and we're so sight sure. fishing, yeah. we're sight fishing these fish in like two three wow. foot of water. Like we're like okay, look, look this one. Like we just had a, a really good trip with a customer on. He caught like a thirteen pounder, and we saw that fish out of a group, and we were like that one. And he made that drift, and it was like so technical, like. It was beautiful. I mean, that's really fun. See, when you um, that happens a, in the deep of summer, though, deep of summer. When you can pick a fish like that out of a group of them, that's that's pretty awesome. To be able to get that technical with one of your customers like that, that's got to be a repeat customer, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, John does like five or six trips a year. I mean, he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and he's a really good fly fisherman. Now, that's not the guy. That, that right. you know, that's a team effort there for sure. Right. I, can't, I cannot take credit for that. All I can take credit for is helping – find the fish and, and sure. get him on it position the boat but yeah yeah i mean there's there's a lot of the battle that isn't going to be you and i i totally get that i i've 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 taken a few people out and as much as you you can give them you know take them to the fish there's a there's a certain part of it that's going to be you know going to be more than just the person you're with you got to figure it out on your own so yeah exactly now now so you you talk about the well, know, real quick. I want to finish. Sure. Yeah, right. I'm just going to end it. That that's through the summer when those fish leave, they go back down to the lakes. Okay, real quick because we were talking about how the fish migrate through and all that. And I know we get sidetracked. I'm really bad about. No, that. you're good. You're good. But, Keep going, man. But the fish they leave about this time. Like as we're talking, and as I told you earlier, I might load that boat up and go tonight. Like those fish are leaving, and when they leave. I'm going to tell you what, it's like, boom, overnight. Like, they'll be in the Saluda. You could go and wear them out, have a 20-catch day. And the very next day, from then on till spring, you won't catch another fish up there. Like, it's amazing. They just decide to go. They leave. They're gone. They're back down to the lakes. I, I, I hate to admit this, but the first time I, I heard that fish have tails and no homes was when my friend uh, Captain D Dana Tabarini was on our podcast, uh, I think, last year. But, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like, you, you think, like, it's going to be the same old, same old. And then just when you think you have it figured out, they, they throw you for a curveball for sure. Yeah, now they don't come back until spring. So you're <laughs> yeah. like they're gone. 
Go yeah. on, go on. So you were talking about how you you like to target them on the fly. What is your your fly gear of choice? What are you using, like as far as rod and and, and the type of flies you're you're throwing at these fish? Um. So you know, as I said earlier, Walt Stanley he got me set up with Orvis. Uh, I started on a seven weight. Okay. Um, I threw a lot of floating line at first, um, just because you know a new. I'm three and a half years into fly fishing. Okay. But because of Rivers and Glenn, like they gave me every resource at their finger, like whatever you need, like we'll teach you. And they did. And so I could call them and ask any questions, this and that. And then my fly tire, uh, Steve Hilbert, H and H streamer guys, like he really, you know, keeps me supplied with the right flies, the right patterns, you know, everything that I need. So I've just had this community come together and that really opened my eyes to the fly fishing community like I used to think and I just I probably won't get hate for this like I used to think those were the the nerdy kids right I just we all have everybody from, thinks that about fly dude, those guys were the coolest kids on the block from day one yes. like they owned it like those guys have been doing it right since day one and I have mad respect for every fly fisherman I ever meet it is the coolest thing ever like it changed it transformed my life you know, like going into fly fishing, it, you know, ask me what I want to throw. I'm going to say a fly. Um, so now I'm not fly or die, but you know, but I, I'm a fly. I'm a fly. You're guy. close. You're close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so some of the stuff that we use, we use some sink tips, you know, intermediate, um, when it gets into the technical part, I'm really bad about that stuff, you know, like 300 grain and this and that, whatever your fly weight line and all they use. Um, I just have intermediate sink tips and then I throw like a, sometimes an articulated pattern, um, is it ma mainly mimicking shad? Cause that's our forage here. We have a big gizzard shad population. So like you can throw really big flies. Um, that doesn't necessarily always work. Sometimes you got to go throw those itty bitties, you know, like you're throwing an eight weight, but you're throwing a fly that's like two inches long and it feels oh, odd. Peanuts. It feels odd, but they they love it. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's mainly what we do. It's like you, you can get away with just floating line, though. If you want to come down and fish this river system, you can get away with just floating line. You just got to fish it patiently, slowly, and, you know, sometimes they want it ripping. We don't we don't have a lot of schooling, you know. Like, I know in the, the offshore game and lakes and reservoirs and stuff, there's big schooling, things. like We don't have that um we have what we call pods i guess you know like just five four or five of them um normally you catch one you're not going to just catch one you're going to catch two or three and then you keep moving um i mean that's kind of what we see but we're throwing streamers you know it's constantly casting hitting spots and uh and moving moving covering water because that's what these fish do they constantly move so your your primary bait source there is going to be the gizzard shad um, I wouldn't say the primary bait source is gizzard chad because our gizzard chad. Are you familiar with the gizzard chad? Yep. How big does a gizzard chad get to you? Um, I've seen them like probably I don't know, fourteen to eighteen inches big. <laughs> yeah, giants. So, I yeah. mean, we got some twenty inches. Like yeah. we got giants down here. Some of them that just like, how did you make it this long? Right. Um, but no, I'm starting to see a comeback. And I just talked to Jason Bettinger, the striper biologist down here for our region and DNR. I just talked to him about this. I'm like, man, I am seeing a ton of forage in the Saluda right now, which is uncommon. 
that are, you know, that two to three inch, that thread fin pattern, like the thread fin Chad. And it's really coming back. Like we used to have it 20 years ago. I can remember, you know, my dad threw a cast net because he was a bait fisherman back in the day. And I mean, one cast net, we're done, set for the day. You could throw a cast net all day and not catch one the past 20, you know, like 10 years. Wow. That now, like I'm starting to see, like I don't throw a cast net much because I'm I do a lot. I focus mainly artificial and fly. Um, you know, I'm starting to see that bait come back and, and replenish itself, which I don't know why. Like that's why I'm 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 just talk more with Jason and we're gonna get more involved and figure out what's going on. But in the Saluda, because it's you know, it's so cold, they don't necessarily want that environment. Um, however, back in the day, they used to be there. Right. So we'll, we'll figure all that out, I guess, more, more to come on that. But we're starting to see a thread fin pattern. We've got crawfish and we have rainbow trout. Um, so, I mean, they've got a buffet. But, I, you know, gizzard chad and, and your shad um, are probably, yeah, your main, your main sources. Okay. Yeah, as you get uh, further up into some of our ri river systems, you'll, you'll see guys that all kind of do the the rainbow trout type thing and 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 obviously we have crawfish in our river systems as well but you'll find out on the coastal areas you know they'll be feeding on blue crabs and and lobsters similarly to that but just i guess a different they're have you different. ever witnessed them feeding on that yeah like, have you ever, what what kind of behavior do you see like I well know. i mean it, it's kind of one of those things where there's there so we see that the the wild feeding behavior like on schools of menhaden and and schools of herring and things like that up here where it's just like an all-out gorge fest you know there's that and then um you'll see like you'll see video of some of them where they'll be eating like blue crab like you'll see some of these fish that'll have like 25 blue crabs in their stomachs when they've been harvested have you, have you ever witnessed them i don't know what the water clarity is like up there so to tell you what my water clarity is like we we might have on some days we might have like 10 12 foot visibility Right. You know, like this super clear water in the yeah. Saluda. Have you ever seen them go like after the blue crab or how technical they get with getting to that that crab? Are seen, they in the rocks, I guess? That's where yeah, the crab I mean, it's it's not it's not super common to see that. A lot of that stuff probably happens at night up here. You, you know how that goes. Yeah. Like, yeah. That feeding that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I would say I've probably seen it at some point, but just not really. It wasn't really something I connected with, I would say. So, so something that I've been witnessing, and I've seen this over the years, like, you know, probably the past decade, I've seen this happen, but these fish, you know, we're, we're observing them, and, and Tanya can tell you, you know, like, where she can uh, validate the watching these fish and the behavior, watching them swim because of the clarity, right, and I've been out on days where I've seen these fish, they turn sideways down at the bottom of the rocks, and they're, like, rubbing it. You know, like we have this moss, this moss that goes over the rock and this and that. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing is they're actually grabbing the moss and they're moving the moss and they're getting it out from the crevices of the rock so that they can get the crawdad. This is, and then this is all theory and the striper biologist kind of is on the same page with me, but this is what we're seeing. They're moving the grass to get to the crawdad in the crevices of the rock. Um, and that's how we're seeing them feed. And, yes, you know, recently, 
It's like um, a specific learned behavior. They're, they're, they're super too. patient about it too. Yeah. Like I've watched these fish for a long time, sitting on top of them, 10 foot of water, you know, looking at them like, and they won't respond to anything, any baits or anything like that. They're so focused on what they're going after. Um, so it gets real technical with these fish. Like a lot of people in their mind, they get it that, you know, striper are just like super aggressive. They'll hit whatever this and that. No, sometimes it, it comes down to a color. Yeah. Sometimes I've been out there and they won't hit anything unless it's got a red streak in it or a red head or this or that. Like they get super technical sometimes. Um, and that's what I spend my time pre-fishing for all my clients, you know, to make sure I've got it figured out. But it, uh, some of the behavior I've seen, like I've seen these fish turning sideways and swim, but recently I've seen these fish barrel roll. Okay. Like they completely turn over, like do a barrel roll and keep swimming. Like it's nothing like, well, I don't know what that behavior comes from, like what they're doing. Um, but I've seen it multiple times. I thought maybe they were cleaning themselves on the side of the rock, maybe, or maybe they had something on their side, their scales or something. More to come on that. But I was just wondering, like, has anybody witnessed that kind of weird behavior of these fish? I wonder if it's something connected with, you know, how they, they, they feed a lot based off of their lateral lines and they can feel vibration based off of rubbing against the rocks, uh, finding those, those, those shellfish. I wonder if it has anything that, to do with that. It could be, that could be, you know, they do, they do use that lateral line, um, to feed. That would be something now, I would think about. That, that would be interesting. Maybe that helps that them feel sure. vibration on the bottom. I, I don't yeah. know. Just something I'm, I'm, I'm all speaking off the cuff right here. Cause yeah, I have no idea why they're doing that. Yeah, of course. Now you said, you said you're, you are, are 100% catch and release on your boat. Now, as far as the, this, this river fishery as a whole, do you, do you find that, you know, that's most guys are that way and they're, they're protecting the fishery or do you see it's kind of a open, open game? So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing to say this, but I'm the only guy on my waterway. Okay. I'm the only USCG licensed captain <laughs> and insured uh, on my waterway. Uh, there's there's one other guy, and I, I will say his name. I have much respect for him. His name's Jake Howard. Um, he, he does a drift wrap, uh, but that is it. There There is no other guide. So I've had people call and say, hey, you know, what what's the catch and release policy, this and that, and I've told them, and they didn't do a trip with me and I didn't back down. Like I lost that money, you know, like that sucks when you're starting out and, yeah. and you do that. But like you said, it's when you, when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. I'm, I'm the it's same principle. way. Like, principle. yeah, that's, that's how it is. And, yeah. and I tried to educate them and I tried to say, you know, this is why I do it. Um, but you know, some people just can't be swayed and that's fine. I told them to go to Lake Murray. <laughs> there you go you know I, I i look at my you know my time in this this fishing world and i i wouldn't say like I, i've figured a lot of things out but there's a few things i'm pretty good at and you know i i don't like to abuse you know those types of things you know i i would love to help other people do do certain things but i would do that privately you know it's it's not it's not in my my name is important to me whatever it means to to everybody else you know, my, my name is important to me. So if I say I'm doing something, I do, you know, like, like I haven't, I haven't blown up, you know, the sheep's head fishery up here simply because, you know, it's something that's important to me until we get, you know, reasonable regulations in place. I don't feel it's, I don't feel it's, uh, I don't feel it's a smart choice of mine 
to sit back and, you know, exploit that fishery. Uh, I'm not sitting, I'm not looking to get famous personally. I'm, I'm just sitting here to, to make connections with friends like you, man. That that's what this is all about for me, you know, just making new connections and, you know, meeting new people and making new friends throughout this industry. I, that's, that's what I love, you know, and th for me, that's what this is all about. And I, obviously for this tide chasers thing, we want this to be beneficial for you. So we're introducing you to a, a number of our listeners and, and maybe we can make some connections. Yeah, same way. And uh, I mean, it, it, you, that's all you have is your legacy, what you leave behind. Right. Right. And um, and that's like the main thing. Like, I don't want to ruin this fishery, but I want to make a living fishing. Um, sure. It, it is what what I do. And I feel like the, the relationships I create and on the boat, it's it's amazing. Um, but but I definitely want to have. I want to have the fisheries, you know, integrity in mind when I do it. I want to Absolutely. keep that integrity. I, I have kids. I know you have kids. Like, yeah, I want them to be able to go experience it. You know, you know, the biggest thing I could say for me is like my son, when he caught, he got on the cover of the Fisherman magazine up here. He caught this really nice, beautiful walleye. It was his first walleye. It was almost eight pounds, almost seven and a half pounds. My kid was four years old. You know, that that's the, that's the the thing and he wanted to catch a fish that he could bring home for his family to eat that fish would have been perfect however it was a large female fish when i explained that to him he goes let's let's get her back in the water so she can so those babies can live and man you know what when i when i gotta say my kid at four years old making a big time decision on something like that that's what it's about man I, he's 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 my reflection that that's what it, that's what it's all about that's right and and you know it's it's it starts with us. So it starts with us and goes to them. So it's all we can do is set the right example. So just, just in speaking terms, since there are regulations on that, that river, we'll skip over that. Um, since we, you know, we're supporting the catch and release, uh, the catch and release vibes here. So I want to, I want to just kind of move well, on. Well, well, actually, can we hit on that just a little yeah. bit? And the reason that I want to hit sure. on it is, is because of, it's in, in, you know, yes, I'm catching release. And, and yes, we spoke that, you know, harvesting can be healthy for a fishery, right? Because your, your bait source and your forage and all that, you know, can only sustain a, a certain amount of population. Um, but the time of year that you, you harvest. So our season, when they spawn, they actually come out of the lakes, they move upriver, they spawn just about a mile below the first boat ramp in Columbia. Um, that is whenever your meat hunters come out, you know, like it's crazy the amount of boats that will go down river because the first set of boat ramps is sand because we have a fault line that runs through Columbia from Augusta, which creates the rock formations, which is basically that natural protection of these fish. And unless you have the right equipment to do it, you can't really chase them all year. And so that, that helps. But below that though, you can take a prop motor. And you can chase these fish. Now you're not fishing moving water. You're not fishing rapids. You're not doing that. You're fishing sandbars. Um, you're dragging bait. You're doing this. There's just nothing that I'm about. And but I respect the guys that do it. And but I would like them to know, or or someone to know, or hear. You don't have to harvest those big females that are pre-spawn during that season. You know, you don't have to take that fish out of the fishery. Get you some good pictures. Get you some good measurements. You know, get you a duplicate mount if you want. 
or just keep the picture for bragging rights. Who cares? Like, yeah. catch you another one. Catch her next year when she's 40 or 35 pounds, you know, whatever. But that that's real key in, in our season. Our season is from September 30th to June 15th. And so it's through spawning season. And I'm, I'm, I wish we could get that changed. A striker biologist has the same mindset as you and I, but unfortunately it's out of their hands. They make the recommendations and then we have to fight legislators. Um, and it, it just for anybody that comes down to South Carolina and fishes our fisheries and, and keep that in mind in the, in the Santee Cooper system, you know, if it's spawning season, let them go. Let them throw those eggs out at least. Like if you want to keep the males, keep your two, like our, our, our regulations are two slot fish, 23 inches to 25 inches, and then one over 26 inches. Okay. So a uh, striper can't reproduce until it reaches full maturity at 26 inches is what they've noticed. Um, that's why they set the trophy size technically at 26, which is, you know, maybe to some is trophy, not to, uh, to others. Um, it, trophy to me would be over 45 inches, 40 inches, you know, in that range. Um, but, it, you know, if you catch the males, fine. If you want to harvest your two males, fine. Don't keep that female. Right. If you know it's a female and it's a big one, let her reproduce because a 30-pound female can produce three to five million eggs. And, you know, 10% of that, 10%, 1%, whatever, actually make it. That's a lot of fish that you could take from one female letting her reproduce. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we stress that up and down on uh, many fisheries, man. Just the, uh, you know, those bigger, older female fish. Just let them keep living, man. They're they're better as a picture. They're better as a memory, you know. For for most of us, you know, I, I listen. If it's legal, I'm not going to tell people what to do. But that's you, right. That's right. Yeah, we have this 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 issue up on the Susquehanna River. You know, we have the trophy fishery where they open it up on the trophy fishery. Well. A lot of these fish that would be taken this year were fish that hadn't dropped eggs yet because we had this weird weather pattern this year. So they they literally put every breeder fish in a bullseye, and it was it was it was absurd. Like that kind of stuff is the kind of stuff that has to change. You know, there it doesn't does. have to be a a fishery where we're keeping trophy fish at this point. It doesn't. It's and not it, necessary. It's education. Yeah, God, they just don't know. You know what I'm saying? They just don't know what they're taking out. And, and that's where it comes to the education part. And let's just keep spreading the word. Because I feel like a lot of people, if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do it. Right. Yeah. Listen, like I said, one of my best friends, he goes, man, I never really even thought of things this way. You've kind of opened up my eyes. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. I have all this in my back door, you know, it's like literally I could walk out every day and, and keep a limit of fish every day, but is that responsible? And it, he, like, it's amazing. I love, it's, it's like one of my, it's one of my proudest things. It's like outside of my kids, it's like, I, that's the kind of stuff that I live for now, man. Just like for people to say, Hey, I, I changed your mind or you helped me do this. Or listen, mm -hmm. I listened to you on your flounder podcast and this was killer, man. I learned this and it did this for me. That's what it's all about for me now as I'm getting older. I want to share, you know, my knowledge and, and yes. share, you know, whatever I can to help, help these fisheries stay healthy for my kids. That's right. That's right. Now you, you've been fishing the river for years, you know, since you were a kid, have you seen things change for the better, for worse in the time you've been navigating those waters? Uh, obviously things change. You talked about, you know, the bait sources coming in and out over the years. What would you say that the health of the fishery is now compared to it was when you got started? Um, so I guess the furthest memory 
you know, that I really have, like other than pictures and this and that, just off the top of the head, like my father and I, the last tournament that they ever, they used to have tournaments on this river. Um, and, you know, this was back, SENG was running the, the river system because it is a tributary. So it's, it's managed water and the flows and all that. Every day at three o'clock, 20 years ago, they would run the water every day. Now, I don't know what their management system is. I, nobody does, I don't think. I think somebody's in there pushing buttons. But, <laughs> you know, and that, that really hurts us. So that, that is a downfall, and I'll get to it. But, but back then, they could do these tournaments because of that managed water flow, right? And I remember in 19, what, 1998? So what? I don't even know how long ago that is. That's more than 20 years, isn't it? Um, we're getting old. So yes, we are. Me and my father fished this tournament. There's 97 boats in it. Wow. And it, this is on the river, and this wow. is all like John boats. And there, there, there's some bow riders, this and that, to go downriver. And most everybody went downriver. There was only two boats that went upriver. I think I'm like eight or nine years old. I can't remember. And I remember we had to drag the boat upriver because we were running a prop boat then. Like I've done my time from from prop boats to jet boats. I've done it all, and that's how we learned it. We dragged you know John boats up the river where I guide today, and we sat there and we caught you know we would have caught ten fish, but it was a ten fish limit back then. Um, that was probably whenever I saw it, like right before it fell, um, because in the early two thousands we had some droughts. Um, in the southeast and then in like 06 to 09 there was a really bad drought and so what what has led more to our decline is is the weather i guess the water flow the droughts and this and that we've been really affected by that and and our fish that reproduce like it's a very small percentage now um I, i'm not even gonna lie like it's, it's really small it's like 10 percent. you know they've had to really work with these fish to keep them sustained because mainly because of droughts yeah um i would imagine because there's so many things that go into a fish reproducing in our river system that you have to have the right flow the eggs have to you know tumble for so long they have to end up in a place that can support life this and that um temperatures got to be right in the water i mean it, there's just so much that goes into it and um we just haven't had that so there has been a decline but in the past five years which really led my dad and I to like, he, he, he pushed me into like getting my captain's license and stuff. And um, that's what led us to do that was, you know, this, this increase, this rise, we're seeing really good quality fish come back. It's a healthy fishery. It's, it's, it's really rebounding, but you know, we've had a lot of good years of water. Um, and so, you know, from basically, I think the last drought that, was on record maybe about like 2012-ish. Um, so we've had some good years and, and I think that has a lot to benefit from it. Um, what I see coming now and what I'm working towards, hopefully figuring out a way to coexist with, is we have a river walk system that has been put in that basically covers our river. You know, like all the areas that you would never have had access to you now can access on a concrete pathway. Wow. And it, it's really troublesome because it's like, you know, DNR is always complaining about they don't have enough manpower. They don't have this. They don't have that. 
And I know those guys, there's, there's, there's those certain guys that really put in effort and work really hard to protect our natural resource. But then there's the other ones that don't. And we're at a point, right? We're at a tipping balance, right? Where, you know, where it can go either really bad and we can figure out a way to coexist with this new river walk system, or we can let it just go run wild. Like I've seen in the past two years, because this literally has happened in the past two years, this river walk system being expanded to the whole nine mile stretch of river that these fish are in, in the summertime. And I mean, it, it's devastating sometimes to see like some of the trash that gets left behind in the river. You know, you have bank fishermen that, and I respect bank fishermen, um, but when they have their lines going all the way across the river and you're trying to run a channel with your boat or, or, or canoe or whatever you're in, you can't do it without like dodging these fishing lines like sometimes. And it's really devastating to see that. Um, so I'm, I'm really working, you know, advocating to, to figure out a way that we can manage this to where we can all coexist together because this happened and yep. it's happening. So the, the only way is now figure out a way that we can coexist. Um, and, and then that's where we're at. So is it declining? <coughs> I don't think so. I, I think we're, but we are at a tipping balance, tipping point right now. You know, we've seen an increase in quality of fish, this and that. But it could be vulnerable and more vulnerable now because of that. Yeah, I mean, we we are we're seeing very similar things on our, you know, our Chesapeake Bay fisheries, our Delaware River fisheries, Hudson River fisheries. You know, a lot of these fish are, you know, they're they've been through years of difficult spawning years, whether it be, you know, droughts or whether it be, you know, uh, climate, whether it be, you know, runoff in the waters, whether it be anything. You know, there's a, there's a lot of factors involved, but we're seeing some some really, um, you know eye-opening numbers with some of these years of spawning class and you know like the 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 idea like like i said of the trophy fishery still being a thing like it's beyond me when you look at the the black and white how that's still a thing like i i just don't i don't see how anybody who is responsibly in charge can say that that's a good idea to continue that just doesn't make sense to me correct yeah and, and what hurts to hear is when you talk with your biologist like you know I work with him a lot here. Um, when you know he has the the same mindset as you, and even he can't get yes, influence to the right people, right? Yeah, his hands are tied. There's so much they, money, and all they can do all they can do is make suggestions. Yeah, you know, and they go from it's out of their hands from there. Yeah, I mean, it's like we had to wait for devastation before we say, oh, that maybe there's a problem. You know, it's just and it, that's that's that that's a you're. 100% right. And that's why I'm so adamant right now. I'm trying to get with scenic management with DNR. Bill Marshall runs that down here in South Carolina. I'm trying to get with him. We just had a meeting like a month ago to where I can get in front of leadership because we have an opportunity down here to get ahead of the problem before it actually happens. Sure. Like we literally have an opportunity. And if, if, if we can be heard and, you know, get, get enough support, it, it could be possibly avoid it i mean possibly well it, it's good that there's some some good and important eyes on it and hopefully the actions there behind that you know you know we we up here we take 
you know, the striped bass for granted because they're everywhere around us, whether the numbers are, are dwindling or not, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty readily available. If I want to go out and fish for striped bass, I could say within an hour and a half, I could find a, a reasonable place to find a decent class of fish. Um, that's mostly reasonable until the, 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 you know, the January through, I would say February months, we start seeing them again in March. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we take them for granted, but for a lot of our listeners to the South of us, you know, I've really, I've really, you know, worked hard to grow, you know, our, our listener base from the South, because I think it's just, a, it's like I said to you before we start recording, there's just a absence of, of quality content out there for people to listen to. So, and I have so many, so many friends down South that, you know, treat me like family. There's, there's some of my best friends these days. So, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of people in your own backyard, you know, people that we are already listening to us who would love to come and fish with you, even knowing that, you know, it's a, a catch and release fishery. So, you know, kind of give me, kind of give me a little, uh, a quick little 30 second thing that tells me about that fishery and why, why you would want the why people want to fish with you not that you need extra business but i don't know that i can do 30 seconds but <laughs> I, we haven't touched on this and, and this is big like this fishery is so special because of of the history right so in yeah. the 1940s you know roosevelt right roosevelt i get them confused roosevelt and I, it's roosevelt put the new deal in place right and in the santee cooper area low country 93% of the population did not have electricity. And so he introduced in the New Deal that they put Panopolis in place, which is the hydroelectric uh, project down at the dam in Moultrie and Marion. This is when these fish were landlocked. They landlocked these fish when that happened. And there was a biologist that, that was in charge at the time. And basically they said, oh, they'll just die off, right? They land, they, People started catching them, crappy fishermen, this and that in the lakes. And they were like, you know, what is this? So they're getting a rod ripped out of the boat, like old men telling stories. Like, it's so yeah. funny to, to read some of these stories. And uh, they were like, oh, they'll just die off. Well, they didn't. They didn't. They thrived, you know, because we had a long enough river system. And because of the Saluda and the Broad, the confluence, it, it mixed the perfect amount of temperature water for those guys to start spawning in. And it just everything came together. But what's really cool about this is like, and I mean, it, it's cool. It's, it's lemons and lemonade kind of because you had the, the Panopolis. It was a hydroelectric navigation project. They only got the hydroelectric piece done. The reason they didn't get the navigation project done was because of World War II. And I would have much rather had all those lives with us being a veteran, especially. I, I would have rather not done that. And they got the navigation piece done. But if they had got the navigation piece done, we would not have the river that we have today. The plan was to dredge out from Charleston to Columbia to make it a commercial waterway, something like you'd see in the Mississippi, you know, St. Louis or whatever. Um, that would have changed everything, you know, like ships coming in, this and that, like it would have changed everything. And so there's just so many just like unique things about like if any one little thing would have changed in history, like what we have would not be here. And that's just so surreal. Like it's so special to think about that. And, you know, we, I mean, but because of that, 
and because they can naturally reproduce and, and because we have the forage and the food source and this and that with our rainbow trout that get stocked in the Saluda, this and that, we do have the potential to have a trophy fishery um, if managed right. And I do think that we're moving towards that because it's only within the past five or six years that, you know, they've really started hyping in on like how many fish you can keep. You can only keep three. You know, five or six years ago, you keep five. You know, 10 years ago, whatever, 12 years ago, you keep 10. Yeah. Like, they've really just started honing in on that. Um, yeah, I mean, you see, a, you see a lot of those guys, especially, I, I notice it's down south more than more so than ever that, you know, that complain about, you know, the regulations over-regulating this, over-regulating that. But honestly, I mean, I think sometimes we need to be saved from ourselves. I mean, honestly, I think we're our own worst enemies sometimes. You know, if it's there for the taking and somebody tells us it's allowed, who's well, we gonna stop us it's really up to we us a, we have a put and take fishery for that yeah. and this is what i tell people we have a put and take it's called lake murray yeah that is a put and take fishery you know lake hartwell any any freshwater reservoir of these fish besides our river system is a put and take fishery mm -hmm. um we're trying to get back to that natural reproduction stability and it, it may never happen in my lifetime it may never happen um but it is something to work towards because of what, what it brought to the world, because all of your freshwater striper that, you know, definitely on the Eastern seaboard came from our river system, their first DNA, the first fish that were ever released in freshwater lakes and your freshwater reservoirs near you came from Santee Cooper. And that's what makes us the freshwater striper state is the waters that we fish on. Um, and really for the world, because this was the first place that was ever observed. And I say observed because it was learned that these fish have reproduced and lived in freshwater elsewhere in other tributaries later. But this was the first place that it was ever scientifically observed that these fish could live and spawn being an anadrom uh, an anadromous fish uh anadromous an anadromous fish we all know what you're trying to say you got it don't worry it's, it's yeah, an anadromous fish. Late. it being that they could live and spawn in fresh water right so like that's a big deal you know that's what put south carolina i feel like freshwater striper fishing on the map is the santee cooper in the same fish that we fish you know from the 40s these fish have a, a 30 25 year to 30 year lifespan so what are you doing in like fifth generation, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not that long. You know, they, they, they stocked the first freshwater striper in Lake Murray in 1971. They're just finishing like their second generation of, of naturally dying off fish, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, there's a lot to take in. There's a lot of growth still. We still have so much growth in this. So Well, it, it wasn't 30 seconds, but I think you nailed it. Yeah, that was, that was like the perfect commercial for your 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 state and your fishery, man. Yeah. Like I said, it wasn't thirty seconds, but you killed it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm never good on the time limits. No, you you got it, man. Like I said, we take them for granted up here, but the the passion that I feel coming through from you and and your backyard there, man, I, you could tell that you love it and you you live and die for it, man. I I can tell that it's very important to you. So now, so now we're three years in. Are you you full time doing this now? I'm full time. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to, to, to stay full-time. I'm, you know, in my full-time book, no, I'm still building it, but I, 
like I said, like you, you know, when you commit to something, you want to commit to it. Like I committed to, to building this a certain way with certain customers that appreciate and have like mindset. Yeah, man, you're going to resonate with our listeners, whether it's, you know, you know, we help you with that, uh, that, that, uh, that ground uh, swell of uh, influence. There's going to be people to be talking about you based off of our conversation. You're killing it, man. This is great. You know, these are the kind of things that we love to hear, you know, someone that's, that absolutely loves what they do. And we got to thank your wife. What you said, her name is Heather. Heather. Yeah. Thank you, Heather, for allowing this man to take a leap of faith, man. Cause I, I gotta say, I, I think this guy's a new friend of mine now and I, I can't wait to see what's in store, you know, as this, this thing grows, man. She's supporting the dream for sure. Yeah. That, that's, Hey, listen, that's, that's what it's all about. You know, if we got they, someone else in our life, it, they, they, they have some things that they put, you know, put in, put on hold for us to be able to do what we do. So and I think we're going to talk about it. So let's go ahead and touch on it. You were going to ask me eventually what, uh, what we got for a trophy like what's the biggest fish called out of the boat this and that heather wears the pants in the house are you kidding everybody love wants it. to know like to people come over to the house and they look at the fish like it's not here anymore it's at rivers and glen and augusta but when they would see it they'd be like oh that's a nice fish where'd you catch it and i'm like oh that's heather's and then they'd ask like where's yours and i'm like we'll talk about that later <laughs> don't worry about it and because I don't have my trophy fishery, you know, I don't have my trophy fish yet. My dad's got a 40 and a 42 on the wall and, and a friend of ours got a 50 and a 51 on the wall out of this river system. She's got a 31 pounder that was 41 inches long and it was mount worthy. So that's, we got a good, awesome. we got a duplicate mount done and, you know, that, that's awesome. I, I, I love that, man. That is great. She's yeah. sort of, and does she, does she like rub it in at certain times or is she Oh, just, she totally rubs it in because I'm out like, I, I literally, when I go and put my boat in late at night or something, you know, cause I, I got that, yeah, I want to catch mine. I want to catch that, that uh, respectable, you know, 40 inch plus fish. So the biggest yeah. 37 inches is what I've had. And um, it's cause I passed the rod a lot, but you know, that's so uh, it. It's okay. <laughs> it's, and, it's, it's, uh, like, it's like you said, it's team success, right? Right. And so, uh, <laughs> she's like I, I really don't need to go fish that much anymore because you know, until you get one bigger than me i don't really need to What's go the fish. Right. I'm, the, yeah. I'm the queen of the castle but i had a guy last year that caught one bigger than her it's pretty upsetting uh and a lot of people will probably know this probably not new england fans but he was a tampa bay buccaneer uh warren Sapp, number oh, wow tbk wow. he came out uh him and d um his girlfriend great guy i love him uh caught a 32 pounder it's 42 inches long so that's about that's pretty impressive that you got a a, a hall of famer that holds your boat record at this point that, you yeah when he that's a pretty yeah, solid on, story when he got on the boat he had his super bowl ring and his, his hall of fame ring on i was like hey uh I don't think my insurance will cover. I don't that. feel comfortable <laughs> with that being on the boat, right? I, I know I, you're. I know you're used to getting on those big offshore boats and stuff, but I was like, you know, we're in a John boat now. So if we end up paddling, I can't cover that ring. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had a ball though. He had a ball. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's that's a pretty that's a pretty incredible story that somebody's gonna beat Warren Sapp. You know, the pro a hall of famer. This has got to beat the the beat the boat record. Oh, well, that awesome. kind of got Heather back involved a little bit. She was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can handle that. I'll tell you what, though, when I, I my my personal best was a 43 inch, 46 pound striper. And I, I'll tell you what, man, it it was like that the weight had li been lifted off my shoulders when I caught that fish. It was 
it was on Easter night. I was out there all by myself. Everybody else is leaving the river saying it was one of the worst days. I'm literally out there by myself. It's like midnight. I got to be at work at six o'clock the next morning. It's a two hour drive home. I, my line goes reeling off and it was bait. It was a bait fish. It was a river fish. And I would say it's, I, I, I'm not super proud of that, but, but yeah, I mean, Warren, my rod goes off. But I was, uh, I was sitting there. I, I was holding this fish. I was like beside myself. I, I'm like shaking. I, I, I had no way to take good pictures. I'm, t- I told my wife, she's when I told always her, happens that way. Yeah. I'm always, I'm like, uh, I, I did get some decent pictures of it, but I told her, I'm like, we're at Easter dinner at the family's house. I'm like, I got to get out. There's been some nice fish caught. She's like, it doesn't mean you're going to catch one just like that. I'm like, you got you. <laughs> so when I caught that fish, I'm like, as soon as I let her go and got it revived and got, and she swam off, I went, I packed up my crap and went back to the car. I'm like, I called her. I'm like, I effing got one. I did it. I, I did it. She's like, great. Yeah, that's great. That's, she's like asleep. And she, I was like, I just did it. And you, you're just like completely blowing me off. It was, it's funny, but yeah. After that, I haven't felt the need to go and run after those trophy fish. That is what scares me. I'm yeah. scared to catch mine because that fire that it gives me, like, to know what that next cast could bring. Because yeah. you never know when it's right. going to happen. And, yeah. and I, re- I want to catch mine on artificial. Yeah. I don't Absolutely. believe I'm going to do it on the fly. You know, the biggest one I've had on the fly is 33 inches. Carter Andrews caught that. Um, you know, I mean, of course, hell of a fish, hell of a fish, <laughs> right? Uh, I did tell him where to cast. I'll take a little credit for that. But yeah, hey, it's he, a fish. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, so I don't think I'll have my trophy on the fly. However, if I did, that would be awesome. I what got a 10 weight in the boat fish? just for that. What is your largest fish on the fly? Uh, 10 and a half pounds, uh, like 30, 30 inch, 31, maybe on a seven weight. The actually that was on the seven weight. That's a claw. So I, I have a seven fish. weight. I've got a, I got an eight weight and I got a ten weight. But yeah. I, I usually throw the seven and eight. The That's ten is there. The ten is there for if, it, if we feel like it's going to happen. So now, obviously, you got to fish for yourself sometimes. What types of things do you target when you're not typing targeting? You know, the striped bass and the smallmouth fishery in your backyard. Do you ever get out in the salt water or anything like that? I'm not a big saltwater fan. I'm, you know, I'm like an hour and a half away. Um, I'll tell you that I've only been on two guides in my life. I, I'm not, you know, I've never experienced guide trips and they were the worst experience I ever had. And I'll leave it at that. Like I basically, for me getting into the guide business, I just knew exactly, you know, if, if I were to pay money to someone to take me fishing, I treat everyone like I'm that person and how I would want to be treated. And I work my ass off for them. Um, but for what I like to do, I like to tournament bass fish. Okay. I, dude, I'm huge. Like I, I, I've given myself like a plan. Um, I just got to win a bass boat and then I'm going to start, you know, tournament English. <laughs> but and, 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 some people laugh at that, but I'll tell you what, there's a guy that just won the Bassmaster Classic two years in a row. His name's Hank Cherry. Somebody's got to uh, win. Nobody knows that. Not a lot of people know this, but. He won a bass boat after selling all his stuff, getting out of bass fishing, completely giving up on it. His buddy talked him into fishing a tournament on Lake Norman, and he won the tournament, and he won a bass boat, and he turned back around, and now he's a two-time Bassmaster Classic champion. Speaking um, of Lake Norman, was in my backyard, and I didn't fish it ever, not once. Yeah, so <laughs> that, that's a goal of mine. I would love to be a professional tournament angler. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm getting really, really involved. I'm, like I said before, I've never had the money to be out on Lake Murray and this and that and stuff growing up. And now, you know, we've worked really hard to get where we're at. And, um, I really, when I, when I got my first center console boat, it was a jet drive. It's slow. It's whatever, but it was a center console. It wasn't a tiller handle. Yeah. I started fishing bass tournaments like five years ago and I have done nothing but in my off time, put my head down and I'll talk trash with the best of them now. I mean, we got fourth in the tournament yesterday, so I'm not mad about that. I can't beat that, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, man, l listen, it's been an, a hell of a time talking to you. I think we could keep going. I, I, I actually want to I want to get off of here and line up that smallmouth one eventually. But no, you actually got to hook me up with your your fly shop uh, contact down there, because I think he would be a guy that I would love to talk to. 100 percent. Yeah, that 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 would be uh, that'd be a killer because he's got to talk to, you know, fly guys from from the salt and the fresh. He's, he's got to have it all there, I would imagine. Oh, man. Uh, Walker and Adam Walker's the owner. It, he, the connections he has is it's unlimited. Yeah, it's you got to You got to hook me up with him. Now, with that being said, you're the star of the show. So I'd like to give you this opportunity to, to tell our listeners how they can find you, where they can find you, how they can contact you and set up trips with you. Uh, I Listen. I, I, I love you, man. I think you're great. I, this has been awesome. This has been awesome. Yeah. I love it. I could oh, I've going. had a blast. This is my first time. Like I could literally go off and rant forever. Like I told you the safe word was Penelope Cruz. <laughs> I never heard it. So we're good. No. Penelope yeah. Cruz all, my come out. all my clients laugh at that, but that's a beautiful woman. And if like shit hits the van or stuff hits the van in the boat <laughs> and like we're, we're hitting rocks and this and that. Like if somebody yells Penelope Cruz, like I could imagine her in a state of crisis. You know what I'm saying? She's just a beautiful woman. Like who wouldn't think of her in a state of crisis? One of my one of my favorite movies, Blow. I could watch that movie anytime it's on. She was great. Like that movie, yeah. like the pinnacle for her, for me. Have to say the way it smells. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. So tell tell the uh, tell the folks how they can get in touch with you, my friend. So. Uh, you can get in touch with me, like I said, Instagram at the underscore SC underscore river underscore God. They made me put those in there. I would have made it a lot simpler. <laughs> but uh, you can also get in touch with me on my website. It's uh, www.thescriverguide.com. That's uh, the T-H-E or the. Um, and then, I mean, that's pretty much it. I'm on Facebook as well. Um, I don't do the Tic Tac but uh me neither my kids yeah. do it. i'm like i don't, I don't i've know. got a youtube but i'm so horrible at posting that i'm just not man i'm, I'm I built for the camera you know everybody says like i need to be on it but yeah <laughs> man you got you telling shit <laughs> no, but for, i just don't do it for me i like it comes back to what we were talking about before you know i could do the youtube thing but then i would be giving away a lot of the, the meat and potatoes of what i do and uh, that's not for me. I don't, I'm not doing this for the fame or anything like this. I, I'm doing it like you. I'm passionate about it, man. We we could tell we love what you you love what you're doing, man. And you absolutely love your fishery. You love those fish down there. You you love them and you 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 can't get enough of, uh, you know, dialing them in, but also protecting them. And that's that's what I, I got to say. I love that about you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. I've had an absolute blast. Man, it's been it's been beyond a pleasure. And I guarantee you. Once I get back to riding and I'm not not a, a one uh, one car family, I'll be making some trips down south and I'll be I'll be hooking up with you. We should we should actually get Tanya in and do do like a trip together. Open invite, whenever yeah. you want. Got a place to stay and everything. Got you covered. Yeah, I'm down. I love. I hey, I'm a southerner at heart. All my friends that like I've never been 
I've never been more welcome than when I come south. You know, people, people I love it. I love my southern friends. So, and, and you're just a new one, and that's why I do this. You know, that's what this yeah. is about for me. So, well, it's been an amazing for, experience. Thanks for joining me, my friend. I'm going to stay on for a few minutes and wrap up, but uh, I really appreciate you spending some time with me tonight. Yes, sir. We'll be talking, my friend. All right. All right. Take care. All right. So that is Justin McGrady. What, what, what a killer dude, man. I got to say, I love, I love what he's all about. You can tell that there's not another guy that would be worth contacting for that fishery down there. He's just incredible. And he knows it like the back of his hand. There's nobody else doing it. Like he's doing it down there. And you know, he's, he turned it full time and he's a catch and release solo. I mean, that's just amazing. I love it. So again, you can find him at the underscore SC underscore river underscore guide and I, I support the guy i think he's great look him up check him out if you're in town if you're close by give him give him a shout man he's gonna he's gonna put you on those fish and there are some trophy class fish 40 40 plus inches that's a solid fish anywhere so once again it's been a pleasure um, thank you for tuning in um, you can find us on instagram at tide at tide underscore chasers uh, we're on Facebook Tide Chasers Podcast. You can find us on all of your major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio. And then of course we are, we have a special uh, connection with Waypoint TV. You can find us on the app on TVs and uh, listen in, man. We just, anybody else that's looking to come on board and, uh, and, 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 you know, record with us. We love this stuff, man. This is what it's all about. So check out Justin, give us a shout tight lines, everybody. Thank you.